Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Minion, also known as Rob. Recently, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, you know, things like player agency and DM fiat, all these uh, rather complicated subjects. And I often engage in these uh, discussions when they appear on Twitter. But one of the problems, I think, that arises when discussing such topics is that people will inevitably be coming from very different um, points of view and from very different uh, with very different systems or or um, objectives uh, in their mind when they discuss these matters and it becomes very difficult for them to discuss it in universal terms if that makes any sense um, and it can be very frustrating. Um, I find uh, sometimes I don't really have a lot to say. And this reflects in my podcast output. Because at the end of the day, you know, as they say, your glorantha may vary. But your role-playing games may vary. The way that you approach them. For me, um, echoing uh, Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast's um, thoughts, I guess. Um, there's there's role-playing games, and they consist of uh, variable, uh, various different uh, elements. But um, if you you know if you want to discuss it in the most um, sort of broad terms, most obvious terms, you're looking at role-playing and games. <laughs> should be so obvious that it need not be said um, but people often um, well for me just like Jason games for something to be a game it requires um, some kind of um, structure some kind of rules that aren't always in flux uh, and aren't can't be changed up on whim um, during game without some deliberation, okay? So this isn't the same as rulings over rules. Rulings over rules is quite different from just bending the rules when it suits the suits your purposes. Uh, for example, a GM has a story they want to tell, so they bend the rules. Um, they change time and space uh, within their game to tell that story, regardless of dice rolls and rules. So... Um, you need, if you have dice, if the rules dictate dice, you need the dice, and dice are, give you um, values randomly that help um, remove the necessity for people to um, to um, assert their will against the game, the direction of the game. Um, now. I'm in danger of also discussing these matters when I've already said that I don't really have any interest in discussing them. Um, and I guess the reason for that is, um, for me, uh, to quote uh, Lemmy of Motorhead, you know, the pleasure is in the play. It makes no difference what you say to 
to bring these points and to discuss them uh, ad infinitum um, in terms of mechanics and so on is all very well if you're a game designer but uh, the majority of us are here to play the games and enjoy them and our I guess uh, philosophy regarding games will be reflected in the games that we choose to play and how we choose to play them at our table and there's not really much more beyond that than these we're discussing um, now you pe- people do need perhaps some uh, instruction and uh, theory and whatnot and this is all always already um, easily uh, available generally available um, but the the greatest source of um, of game theory or philosophy how to make your game better comes from experience <laughs> and and so yeah experience is everything um, you've got to rack up those experience points you've got to make the mistakes you've yeah, you've got to, um, you may have to do what I did and, and um, play Monty Hall games, um, which means, you know, giving out way too much experience points, um, fudging those dice rolls for the players so they always succeed and giving them magic items and uh, making them happy. Um, and that, that's great. And that's what I did as a, as a teenager, generally. Um, but... You may want to you over time that may become uh, unsatisfactory, and you may decide that the game elements, the elements of the RPG game, um, RPG game, that's <laughs> redundant. The game element of RPGs uh, is just as important as the as the storytelling part, um, if not more so now what um, what will constitute that game element will depend won't it um, depending on the system and and whether you know it's um, whether you have skills whether you have feats um, the degree of uh, game complexity um, whereby the player has to decide what their character can do um, before a session or, you know, in between sessions when they get experience points as opposed to the older, for example, the older editions of Dungeons and Dragons which where the abilities of your character are already pretty much set uh, from the start and they merely um, increase in, in general powers as they as they progress through levels. Right, that's enough of that. Um, so, um, that's one of the reasons, I guess, why um, I sometimes are, uh, tend to be a little bit quiet uh, podcasting lately, um, because the flavours that people uh, appreciate in their hobbies really do very wildly and I don't really appreciate people saying that I'm playing the game wrong (laughs) just as other people don't uh, 
appreciate it if I get in their face and say, well, you know, you roll dice or you're not playing role-playing games. Well, um, so what is a game? I mean, as I've said, I, I believe a game is something isn't simple play. It's it's a game. It's it's a game because it it has rules. Um, it might have dice. It doesn't necessarily have to have dice, but it has certain rules and observances that mean that you have to use skill rather than simply saying, "Hey, bang bang, you're dead." You know, I won. No, you didn't. And arguing out things, there has to be some kind of um, criteria or sort of standards against which all references are judged. (coughs) Right. And that brings me to, very strangely, to the topic at hand. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to continue podcasting and I will discuss the topics that interest me because, you know, that's all I really care about. Um, And I'll try to avoid um, denigrating other people's play styles and games, although sometimes it's it's, uh, difficult not to make an observation or give an opinion without without, uh, um, clashing with the opinions of others, but I'll try not to do that. I I see that... uh, there's a quite a major milestone coming up, which is one of the reasons uh, for this episode, I guess, and that is the 50th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, the original uh, three booklet um, box set of Dungeons and Dragons. Excuse me for the wind here. A little bit of sound here, perhaps. The original uh, one was uh, released in. Somewhere, I think it was autumn 1974. And I was born in April 1974. So it all coincided with my uh, 50th birthday as well. And uh, I guess that's what I, I'm starting to think about things that I could do for that anniversary that might be uh, interesting um, for the group. And perhaps um, we'll... we'll um, uh, be interesting more more generally to other people in the hobby as that uh, milestone comes. Let me just stop here. Okay, so we should be out of the wind a little bit now and uh, away from the road. Uh, apologies for that. So, what do I have planned? Well, I'm sure Wizards of the Coast will release various uh, products uh, in the run-up to uh, what is it, 2024? <laughs> and um, it seems that they already have their their uh, eyes on uh, releasing a revised version of 5th edition. I guess that'll be 5.5 or who knows what they'll call it. Probably the, uh, maybe 50, eh? Maybe it'll be a 50. Maybe they'll call it D&D 50. 50th, the 50th edition or something like that and uh, no doubt they'll uh, bring in some of the bring some of the various rules and changes that have occurred within 5th edition over the years and uh, tighten that up and re-release the core rules to reflect some of the uh, changes that D&D has 
undergone in this in a very short time um but that's not what i'm going to do <laughs> um i think we can we can um rely on what's the and the fifth edition um fans to 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 um celebrate in in their own way uh, and that will be in in, in a sense of uh, D&D has come this far and look how it's changed and look at how all these changes are so so great and and there'll be a lot of money in it as well of course because that's the bottom line but I'm not going to do that uh, I'm really interested in original edition and I, although I've played Swords and Wizardry which is, you know, a so-called retro clone of the original edition D&D with supplements. I think I want to take a step even further back in, excuse me, D&D's history, a bit more wind. And, and uh, look at the, the, those original three little brown books and also the chainmail rules. And I'm going to do this by looking at things that are people in the community have said, including our uh, Daniel Norton of Bandit's Keep, uh, on how to uh, interpret rules in the original edition, and also maybe using chainmail as a as a basis for the combat instead of the D20 uh, system, which <clears throat> I don't think original D&D does that well um, because of damage dice all, all being d6 regardless of weapons type and and the lack of uh ability st- scores tying in really strength for example doesn't modify attacks in any way um so there's very little difference at the first level between an attack from a wizard and an attack from a fighter which sounds ridiculous um so I don't want to quite go that direction. Instead, I want to use chainmail or a variation of chainmail because I think it's a very interesting system, as um, Daniel has pointed out in in his episodes on original D and D with chainmail. Now, <clears throat> what do I want to do with it? Well, why do I think it's worth resurrecting beyond just as a as a bit of a a novelty for 50th anniversary. Well, as you you may know, I, I'm one of these people who believes that D and D is uh, is fantastic because of the way it it uh, it abstracts many complexities like combat and other things, and bypasses skills and allows you to continue story. Um, without getting bogged down in trying to simulate reality. D&D does that really well, but gradually and gradually, more and more, it begins to codify rules and take away from that, um, sort of build, instead of a simulation of reality, it, it creates an alternative where it tries to walk a strange line between abstraction and and uh, verisimilitude which is sometimes probably under a lot of attack well for me as I've said it, it's, it's the spaces in the rules that create a sort of sense of freedom 
uh, for role playing. So it's the rules um, I'll point out here. I've always left certain areas blank. For example, social mechanics and and such like uh, skills were and until more recently completely lacking in the original system. I mean, yeah, there were later on there were rules in you know AD and D for you know non-proficiency weapons, which were basically skills, but these were things like ride horse and other uh, skills that tied into uh, things that didn't have a role-playing, didn't didn't mm, influence role-playing. So there were actions that that couldn't be easily determined through player choice um, or response. Um, so, yeah, OD&D gives you these spaces between the rules, between the hard rules, and areas which aren't quite so defined. God, that damn wind again. I'm going to stop this for a moment. So let's discuss hit points for a moment. Now, you have hit dice, uh, and a hit dice is a d6 in the white box, the so-called white box, original D&D, 1974. And you may receive a bonus to that. Say if you're a fighter, you get 1d6 plus 1 hit points. Otherwise, you get a d6 hit points if you're a monster or a magic user. Or, and that may go up as you gain levels and gain extra hit dice, which are sometimes simply a, a plus 1. It could be a plus 2. Or it might be a whole 1d6. Now, if you look at the chance of hit points and the examples given, it's clear that... Um, they don't stack up. They don't accumulate uh, between levels. I think the example it gives is of a fifth level fighter, which is has five plus one hit dice. Uh, it gets the five plus one hit dice at fifth level, and you roll that to determine hit points. But you also notice, perhaps, that it also at first level it gets a one plus one, has one plus one hit hit dice. So surely by fifth level, uh, it should now have uh, five plus two because it's getting an extra plus one. And that seems to be the case if you're doing accumulated hit points by level. But the example doesn't bear that out. So what appears to be the case to many is that hit points, uh, as originally calculated, were not accumulated per level, but rather they were they were rolled um, at the beginning of a session or at the beginning of an encounter to, ter- to, ter- 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 <laughs> to determine how many hit points the fighter had at the beginning of that combat or session or whatever. Now, this is really different. So what it appears to me is that hit points are actually... Um, they're not your robustness or your stamina, it's, it's your battle readiness. So, for example, if you decide, the GM decides, or the, the table decides that they're going to roll hit points at the beginning of each encounter, you, would, you may, not everybody will, but you may decide that, okay, I'm going to keep track of wounds, and then 
at the beginning of each encounter I'll roll how many hit points people have um, based on resting up and other, other factors or you know the just uh, the, the spirit the, the, the battle readiness of the, the opponents and then you I guess you would deduct the wounds from that or in a well you have the wounds maybe going up and you've got say so say you're a first level fighter you've got one plus one hit dice you've already taken three damage well in the second and you lived through that so in the second encounter um, you would start that encounter with at least four hit points um, meaning that you you can sustain one more wound before keeling over this is quite interesting because uh, you would always start the battle with one more point than you started with up to the maximum number of hit points possible for your level um, until you finally you can only ever have one point and the next attack would mean you fall down uh, successful attack that is causing damage now this means that uh, you never know how many hit points you have at the beginning of an encounter if you're um, a third level character say you've got three hit dice you could have three hit points at the beginning of a battle or you could have 18 um, you wouldn't know until you start that battle I quite like this idea, although I'm not 100% certain I'd adopt it at this point. The reason I like it is because the players are going to really think hard about the risks involved in combat. You know, they're not going to have this warrior with, you know, a third level warrior with 15 hit points and uh, they've only taken three damage, so they're all right. They've still got 12 left. They can. They can take a few more hits. They don't know how many hits they're going to be able to take. So, if they take three damage and they roll the dice and they get seven for the, on those three dice, that means they can only take four more hits. <laughs> um, uh, um, before they they succumb to their wounds, which is really interesting because it means the the first goblin or kobold to hit them has you know a four in six uh sorry a two in six chance of uh taking them down with a successful hit uh, really quite interesting that's just one example of the the spaces that left open in the game because of what people will generally call a design flaw in the game um now these these rules were changed and further codified through the supplements uh, until we have something more approaching the, the you know the, the conventional um, idea of hit points and armor class and other things but but it, originally I think there's a it's a little bit more complicated than that um, and of course in chainmail you have something that's a little bit you see it in later supplements with the d20 and uh, AD&D you have uh, armor class as being just armor it's not dexterity at all there's no dexterity modifier in the, the, the original box set 
74 box set. And if you're using chainmail, as I said, the, the type of armor worn changes your defense value against certain weapons. So again, the armor, it's not a case of uh, each armor giving you a one or a two point uh, difference. So a five or 10% difference in value you need to roll on a D20. Uh, instead, it, it changes the numbers quite drastically depending on the kind of opponents you're facing. And that's um, really uh, exciting. So the whole combat system is, is exciting. The idea that you can parry, that you can do reposts in, in uh, Bandit Keep's uh, version, revision of uh, Chainmail, that you can, you, you can take out more than one opponent at higher levels, um, etc. Th these are all quite, really quite interesting. So, yeah, I, I'm starting to put together some ideas from, from my own personal 50th anniversary celebrations for D&D. And uh, I'll propose that to... I'm, I'm proposing it already to the players. There's a little bit of interest. Um, don't know when I'll do it, when I'll do the games. Um, it may actually even start before 2024. Um, as we uh, will need to sort of explore the rules as we want to play it. But uh, quite excited about that. Um, more so than um, playing other editions of D&D, to be honest. Um, I, I do enjoy BX most and AD&D. But uh, I really would like to play the original um, 74 box uh, edition because I think it'll be a, a really different experience and um, quite enjoyable around the table. And of course, you know, um, I want to throw in some big skirmishes and mass battles. Um, without actually getting focused on table top rules. So putting, I look forward to using chainmail and putting players in charge of units of five or 10 individuals and rolling, you know, lots of D6s uh, on the table to, to see, to have these little battles, to, to have differences between individual play and uh, and uh, skirmish play and and combine these types of uh, system to make uh, an exciting experience at the table and uh, hopefully ones that tell interesting stories so there, there, there's some of my ideas I'm sorry if that's a little incoherent I probably expressed myself better on Twitter when I discussed this but um you know, watch this space. Maybe something will come of it and I'll be able to give a little bit more information. Maybe not. <laughs> we'll see. Next up, we have some call-ins. Of course, we have call-ins from Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And following that, um, Daniel Norton of uh, Bandit's Keep. Of course, Bandit's Keep, uh, Daniel Norton is really uh, trying to give Jason a run for his money uh, in being the probably the most prodigious and um, 
and reliable uh, caller in uh, on any of the anchor um, uh, on the anchor platform. So let's hear what they have to say. Hey Rob, Jason here. Enjoyed your latest episode. Definitely enjoyed hearing your cock through comments. It, it can definitely be tricky. As far as scheduling goes, Carl Rodriguez over the Geomologist Presents podcast has gone to that model. He's got a couple different backup games and a couple games that there are ongoing games but are only played when certain players are present So and, and doing that balancing act. I, I mean, definitely you want to know ahead of time. It, you know, you don't want to make the decision which game you're going to play that day. But if you know, oh, this week so-and-so is available, we're going to switch back to that campaign for this session, it, it actually works better than it sounds. It, it's actually worked out quite well. So I appreciate Carl for, for going through that and doing that because it's allowed my son to sporadically join us in, in a game. So that's been very nice. But, yeah, great podcast. Look forward to hearing your next one. Take care of yourself. Hey, thank you for the call in, Jason. Yeah, there's something to be said, I think, about uh, switching between games or, you know, playing a different game on days when uh, not all the players can make the session. Um, one one drawback, however, I have noticed is that because uh, in my case or in my group's case, um, we only play every two weeks, there's this danger uh, that you're going to forget what happened in the last session because, well, if you're playing only every two weeks and then you're playing a different game, when you do meet up, that means, you know, you, for example, in our AD&D uh, campaign or a Call of Cthulhu, there's a a uh, one-month gap between um, the, the following, you know, part, the continuation of the of the adventure. So that's one thing to, to bear in mind. But it, it does hold up, um, you know, provided you, you keep notes, which is something I don't always do. Uh, one of my players, I had to ask the players whether I'd awarded experience points for the previous session uh, which I had and I'd made a note on our messenger but I completely slipped my mind you know over the the intervening um intervening uh, time but uh, yeah it's uh it works it works um and it's better than not playing at all or it's, be- it's better than having to delay things and reschedule things Hey there, uh, Daniel from Bandits Keep. I'm calling in. Just starting to listen to your episode now. Uh, you know, Warhammer is more and more, as I hear people talk about it, it's become more and more fantasy, uh, more interesting to me. I keep thinking about maybe I should try to run it or play it at some point. So, uh, yeah, very cool. But Paranoia is why I called in. So I've only played Paranoia, well, twice technically. Um, but it was kind of the same game. We just kind of continued it. It was fun. I don't know. It doesn't feel like the, the right game for me. Oh, I think it's a good game. It's like a pickup game, right? Because it's kind of silly, uh, at least the way we played it, and it's, you know, it's wacky, let's say, for lack of a better word. But it's kind of fun uh, in the way that you, I guess, play kind of secretly against the other players. Not necessarily against them, but kind of, you know, you pass notes back and forth and stuff like that. So I think that's kind of fun. I don't know that I want to play it all the time. I'm curious uh, how you'll like it, because uh, maybe I need to play it more. But it, it was fun for the time I played it. I just don't know if I'd do it. Yeah, Daniel, I'm not sure if it's um, something that I'd want to do all the time, uh, playing Paranoia, that is. I think it's one of these games that you would um, perhaps slot in to the schedule, you know, when you're feeling like doing something like that. So probably um, one-shots or uh, a very uh, mini campaign. But yeah, it's quite 
fun. I think you have to be in the mood for it. You have to know what's on the table. Maybe you need it to sort of change things around, switch things up a bit, um, have a change of pace. Uh, and uh, by using paranoia, you, you can achieve that really well because it's just fun and um, it doesn't have to be a complete mess around. There can be some really clever parts to it, of course. But it does give you this very different space in which to sort of um, socialise with players, um, particularly in a different way that, that would normally be the case if you're playing some other uh, more serious, uh, quotation marks, game. There, Daniel from Men's Keep again. I'm also exercising. <laughs> so we exercise together, but not really together. In any case, you're talking about the intimidation and I think it's really interesting. I may have mentioned this before, but I've got this like concept that if you're going to play heavily skill-based games, perhaps all the roles should be done before any actual role play happens. That is, your character would say, I'm going to intimidate this guy. And then the GM or the keeper in this case would say, okay, make an intimidation role. And let's say successful. Then you say, all right, well, you've success you're going to successfully intimidate him. Let's play this out now. Let's do this scene. Almost in kind of an improv theater way. I don't know if it would work out um, better or worse, to be honest. Because I often think that similar things happen. You know, and of course, I'm sure most of the time they're just silly jokes. But you see people talking about this online. You know, oh, the person tried to do this and they did this. And then they failed their check or they succeeded in the check. And then, But the thing is, if, they've, if you're already role-playing... I get the idea. I mean, I think the idea behind it is that you should role play first. And then based on what you do, the keeper would then say, okay, well, you're going to make this check and maybe they'll give you a bonus or not, or I don't know if depending on how, the, how it played out. But I almost wonder if the opposite is better. And I think of it almost the way that combat's broken down, let's say in Chainmail or in BX, where you everybody states what they're going to do first. Dice are rolled. And then, at least the way I do it, then the action is described. Because this way we know, right? We know that you were successful in intimidating this guy. So if if that's the case, then the keeper could even say, "Well, you know that he's uh, going to back down. So what did you what did you do to make that happen?" I don't know. Just interesting. In any case, it sounds like it was a really fun uh, encounter and session in general. So, you know, in the end, if you walk away having fun, then you did it right. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> There's so many nuances into how we can play these games. I think that's one thing that makes them so appealing to me. Different systems, different genres, different players, different situations. It really does open up an entire world for us to play in. Yeah, Daniel, I think um, that's. I think you've summed it up pretty well. Um, back in the back in the eighties uh, and the nineties, when I was originally playing, I mostly played games that didn't have really developed skill systems uh, even when there were skills in AD&D for example the skills tend to be tied to active things so like horse riding or something else that isn't uh, necessarily role considered role playing and then you would narrate the result of that role I guess afterwards um, and same with combat right you don't you don't give a, a role play you don't role play out the combat first and then roll the damage and attacks and stuff it's that would be ridiculous and yet that's something that seems to happen a lot with the the newer 
when I say new era from the 2000s onwards, um, system in D&D of, you know, rolling these for social skills, for intellectual skills, for doing these insights and so on, you know, um, or no, the interactions more than anything, not so much insights, sorry. So you've got people um, saying, you role play out situations, then they're wrong to see how successful they were. And then you get this kind of crazy situation where, you know, they they give this garbage speech or this fantastic speech, perhaps. And then when they roll, they get a completely opposite result on the dice, uh, meaning that what was the point of rolling the dice in the first place? So I think if you're using these uh, skill rolls, um, whether in later uh, versions of D&D or in um, other systems like... uh, I don't know, um, Warhammer or RuneQuest, for example, Call of Cthulhu, then you, you've got to do the role first and then role play out, narrate out that result in some way. It, it's problematic, I think, in some ways. Um, why is it problematic? Because I think um, with combat, you, can, you can't add that out necessarily uh, in a in a satisfactory way but particularly in earlier forms of D&D the idea that the players can use their ideas and use their own individual personal skill to to discuss things raise things and play out situations it's kind of really intrinsic um, and by by getting bringing in the the system of uh, skill checks for social situations um, and even mental situations, you're giving players a, you know, you're given a shortcut in, in a sense. You're saying that if, if you put so many points in, you can roll and great, you know, I understand people who aren't good at solving problems or 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 giving speeches. They They have a way of doing that through game mechanics but it does it does um change the nature of the game um but you know that that's that's what you get right i mean (laughs) that's how the game is played so that you've got to roll with that if you're going to play the games i suppose so thank you all for listening to this episode I know there's been a lot of time between episodes and I apologise for the the lack of content and the the lack of uh, structure to a lot of the recent episodes. And part of that is just me, I guess, uh, not wanting to put the podcast on hiatus, but also not really knowing how to frame my thoughts and, and not... Uh, really knowing having a good plan uh, for putting uh, putting things together uh, as you can see yeah, I'm kind of lost for words a lot of the time not not lost for words on in the sense that I can't believe what's happening around me and I don't know how to to describe my disdain um, nothing so dramatic as that and just I don't know what I can add to the mix sometimes you know I don't um you you feel that in a sense you you want to be more um be more uh, appealing to the 
to the listenership. But at the same time, you know, um, I've always said that this is a, a diary as well. So I guess if it's a diary, I, I need to keep on making those uh, entries um, because otherwise the diary gets put aside and uh, the the months and years uh, flow by and uh, you end up uh, not, not keeping that diary. So I will continue to put out uh, content, even if it's a little bit sparse or, or um, uh, unappealing even, <laughs> because I, I need to keep in the habit of uh, putting out the podcast. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Thank you um, for all those other people who are putting out uh, what we may term as content on you know, the internet in whatever form, in the form of blogs, podcasts, YouTube videos. It takes a lot of effort to put um, stuff together, put it out, even something as simple uh, as this. And, um, uh, you know, it says a lot about these people's um, interest and, and dedication to the hobby. Uh, most of the time, I think, um, it comes down to that interest, uh, hopefully, rather than any other more complex interests so that's what i have to say thank you so much again and uh look forward to talking to you again in hopefully the not too distant future take care